0: It's every election ever, and beer. Guys, how are you?
1: Doing good. How are you?
0: I'm good, too. I'm sitting here and enjoying a very good brew tonight.
2: Well, tell us about your beer first, we're going to save Eddie's till last.
0: Uh, absolutely. So, tonight we are drinking the uh, Gotta Get Up to Get Down Coffee Milk Stout.
2: Ale mm. with coffee.
0: Oh. This is from uh, Wiseacre Brewing in Memphis, Tennessee. Nice. This has been in the fridge for years, waiting on this moment. There you (laughs) go.
2: Cracked it open. (laughs) Well, as always, I have zero idea of what I've selected, so you guys can already start making fun of me. I've got something that Eddie said I'm going to absolutely hate. Um, It is by Wicked Weed Brewing, which sounds optimistic. Oh no, I like Uh, that place. It is. Yep, it's a hoppy pale ale. And I picked it in, in honor of Thomas Jefferson. It's called Napoleon Complex. Uh, looks <laughs> looks really good. I'm about to crack into it now, um, and I'll tell you exactly. That's It's not horrible, actually. I could actually deal with that.
0: You said you could you could deal with it. He's but becoming
2: a beer drinker. Listen, by the end of this series, I'm probably going to actually like beer, because this is my run-up, like most people had in college, okay? This is how <laughs> I'm becoming a- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> but true.
1: It's the latest in life that anyone has ever been corrupted.
2: (laughs) No kidding. Hey, there's still time, okay? The good news is we've got it
0: all on recorded tape.
2: Yeah, Eddie, tell us us what you're drinking.
1: Well, I know that you're excited. You must think that I have my Thomas Jefferson beer ready to go, but it's not ready yet.
2: Wow, what a buzzkill.
1: I bottled it. (laughs) I bottled it today, so it's sitting in the bottles. But the way that it works is the beer right now is very flat. You
2: would not want to drink it. It's gross. I got you. So it tastes like Pepsi. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it tastes like it tastes Pepsi. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so tell us first what you're drinking tonight, and then we want to hear a little bit about this process that you went okay, through.
1: Okay, awesome. Right now, I have, well, I went and I bought an Beta Purple Haze for tonight's show because I figured... Uh, We're going to talk about the Louisiana Purchase, so I'll say Ooh. this beer that I'm drinking would be a French import if it was not for Thomas Jefferson's presidency. Uh, I like that. <laughs> so I went to get my abita, and it's not there, and so I, I say to my wife, hey, what happened to the Purple Haze? She says, I needed it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so my wife Good needed answer. that one, but. Luckily, I was able to find another beer in my fridge from the Louisiana Territory. Uh, This one is brewed in Boulder, Colorado, and it's a shake chocolate porter.
2: Oh, is that like a protein protein beer, like a protein shake beer?
1: Gross. (laughs) It better not be.
2: Sounds very chewy. It does. (laughs) It
1: gives you a good idea how big the Louisiana Territory is that New Orleans and Boulder are both encompassed.
2: Uh, that was a pretty pretty good pretty good purchase by Thomas Jefferson. It's got to rank up there, yes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean there's some parts of it I would give back, but but honestly, on the whole, I'm I'm pretty good with, with what we bought. Absolutely.
1: He got a good deal on it. Uh you can't do much better than three cents an acre.
2: Oh no. That's that, that that's pretty, pretty solid. <laughs> so let's get into your special homebrew that you're making, because I'm dying to hear about this.
1: Yes, I am making Thomas Jefferson's actual beer recipe, and I've been working on it for a couple weeks now. I tasted it today. Like I said, it's very flat, so it's hard to tell, but the good news is it tastes like beer. (laughs) Is it going to be a Pinterest
0: (laughs) fail? That's the question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the way that making beer works, you take a big pot and you boil grains and malts and uh extract the sugars from them. It's very much like making tea only with a gigantic cup and gigantic tea bags.
2: Honestly, this sounds like breaking bad to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm not quite there yet, but maybe maybe in a couple weeks. So, um you put some yeast in and the yeast eats the sugars and when the yeast eats the sugars it produces alcohol and carbon dioxide. And so right now, uh, the yeast ate up all the sugars, so I have flat beer. So what you have to do after that, you put it into a bottle, and uh, there's a little bit of sugar. You put a little bit of sugar into it, put it into the bottles, and then the CO2 that's produced when it ferments some more is it can't escape from the bottle, so that's going to carbonate the beer. In two weeks, it's going to be drinkable.
2: I bet your kitchen smells amazing. Oh,
1: it smelled so good.
2: (laughs) I bet it does too, but I like
0: beer. For for Matt, it probably smells like a ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Like during the middle of summer, the day after. It smells like the
2: guy that sits behind me at the football games.
1: If my nephews were here, they would say it smells like my uncle.
2: (laughs) So Eddie had a great idea today that we're going to talk about a little bit. This is just off the cuff. So Eddie said, hey, we need to bring, I need to bring you and Scott some of the beer, which number one, I think is a good idea. Yes. He's going to meet us in Chattanooga. So my idea is let's set up a remote with some place in Chattanooga where we drink their beer that time, and we'll just do a live remote there with, with your equipment, Scott. And, I'm down. will uh, be awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea.
2: Yeah. Get a little crowd noise in the background and, and get a little free plug for somebody down in Chattanooga. I think it'll be fun. I'm going to feel like Burt
1: Reynolds driving beer to you. <laughs> <laughs> Northbound and down. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, man. I see a sequel coming out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is starting off with a bang. I got to tell you, let's let's get into an actual election at this point. And, and as Eddie teased last time, this is pretty much a a non election election. It's going to be pretty much a foregone conclusion. It sounds like.
1: Oh yeah, the Federalists made a huge mistake last time in the election of eighteen hundred, which was they they fear mongered so hard. They said. Oh, the whole country is going to be over. It's all going to be over if Thomas Jefferson gets elected. And so when it wasn't all over and actually things, uh, there was tons of prosperity and everything got a lot better, uh, they ended up looking pretty bad.
2: Let me pause you right there for a second because I was thinking about something else today. I almost just then said, wow, that kind of sounds like what the Democrats were saying when Trump was elected. And I knew in the back of my mind that you would probably be ready to buzz me if you had that buzzer yet. But here's the thing. Whenever you want to buzz me or Scott or even yourself for making a biased political comment about today's current environment, go ahead and make a buzzing sound for us. I'll replace it with something that actually sounds better than your voice buzziness. But just go ahead and do it. Go for (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) You know what, though? I think a big point of the show is to um – is to look at these past elections and see what's the same in America hundreds of years ago and how it's been the same all the time. So I don't think it's partisan to say, "Hey, that sounds like now," because it does sound like now. It's the You're right, same it thing.
0: It's to me, it's 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 really funny. Of everything that's changed in culture, in a way, it really hasn't changed all that much. The tone hasn't changed that much. It's still very. Very brutal <laughs> between the two sides.
2: I mean, like Eddie said, the whole thing is politicians have been telling us since the beginning of this country that this country is going to end and that, yes. that the next person elected is going to completely ruin the country that we just built. So, yes, that's not new.
1: It's a cyclical thing. And if we get sometimes we have these hardcore partisan moments and sometimes we have eras of good feelings. And, it, and it's a cycle, and but it's always the same because it's the same
2: system. So we're, we're about to have an election of 1804. Jefferson's been president for four years. Lead us up a little bit to what's going on right before we start thinking about, hey, are we going to reelect Jefferson again or are we going to vote for somebody else?
1: Oh, yeah. We're going to need to look at um, – at Jefferson's whole presidency, because all everything Jefferson done, does plays into this. And one of the biggest, most important things about this election is, to put it in, day, in today's terms, Jefferson basically solved the problem of global warming.
2: Well, that's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, first, um, France had the Louisiana Territory. And then they ceded it to Spain. And then Spain threw a secret... Nobody minded Spain having it, because Spain was a dwindling power. Nobody was worried about it. But then Spain gave it back to France through a secret treaty, and everybody started to freak out. Because we weren't friends with the French at this time. We were uh, in the Quasi-War... Everybody was super worried about it. France was very powerful. You have Napoleon in charge there now. And all of a sudden, we have um, Tennessee and Kentucky, and they are highly reliant on uh, the Mississippi River and... Uh, Everything in the more western United States, in the western territories, is reliant on the Mississippi River and reliant on New Orleans as a commercial hub. And so, if France decided, yeah, we're going to make you pay to use this, we're going to tax you, France could really, really hurt us. So... It's the global warming of its time, everybody freaking out. You know, if AOC was around back then, she'd be saying, uh, you know, if we don't buy Louisiana in 12 years, it's all over and the French will kill us all.
0: (laughs) I'm just having, I'm trying to picture an AOC AOC with um, those big, beautiful eyes. You can see way too much white on both sides of the pupil. Hasn't bathed in three <laughs> weeks because that's the social norm. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> that's what she already does.
2: <laughs> it's called conserving water. Exactly. hmm <laughs> <laughs> Ur- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get one of those. Yeah.
1: So Jefferson, uh, as you know, purchases the Louisiana Territory. That's like... The equivalent of if you solved global
2: warming today. Hey, let's stop. I I got a question about that. So I I don't really understand how countries purchase land from other countries. I guess I've not ever been involved in a deal that big. But I know that, you know, people went absolutely nuts when Trump's, you know, proposed to purchase Iceland or it was Greenland, right? Not Iceland, Um, which would have been amazing, by the way, just for our podcast. But, so, how, how does that even go down? Like, does, does yeah, does does Jefferson go, and you know, to France and say, hey, I'm looking for some more land to expand, and you've got some right next door? I mean, how, how does that even work? Well, Jefferson
1: sends a uh, minister plenipotentiary, which means a minister that can, um, you know, has the full power of the United States to negotiate with because you can't, you can't send a minister back then and he calls up and he says, hey, I can get this good deal, do you want me to do it? Because there's no phone, so it takes months to talk back and forth. So the, they send him plenty potentiary, and he meets with Napoleon, uh, trying to buy just New Orleans, and Napoleon is just ready to dump the whole thing, because he's got bigger plans. He doesn't have big plans for this territory in America. He wants to get that money. He's got big plans for Europe.
2: Hmm. I got you. So he caught Napoleon at a time when he was ready to, to spend money on a way to acquire, I guess you could say, more land in Europe, and he was ready to give away land in America at that point.
1: Exactly. Providence just shined on Thomas Jefferson. In this case and in several cases, it's worth mentioning that the minister plenipotentiary, well, there were actually two minister plenipotentiaries sent, but uh, one of the minister's plenipotentiary was James Monroe. That guy's everywhere. 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 And he's the one who ends up purchasing the Louisiana territory from Napoleon. It ended up being way more expensive. They weren't expecting to buy the entire Louisiana territory which is gigantic i don't want people to think that the louisiana territory is just the state of louisiana it starts in the state of louisiana and then it goes all the way up uh as far west as colorado wyoming montana it goes up into north dakota all the way up into minnesota down through iowa missouri and arkansas so it's gigantic it's a third of the United States
2: today we call those states Hillary Clinton forgot about <laughs> so it's fair it's it, it, it's fair to
0: say that it's it's at the time it was almost so large that it couldn't possibly be comprehended by anyone in the United States exactly the scope of this purchase
1: uh, yeah th- that's a hundred percent correct I mean they weren't even sure exactly where the borders of it were where where exactly it ended they don't even know because it's so gigantic.
2: Yeah. I mean that's 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 why we had to hire two people to go out and like check out the whole place, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I love this is my favorite story in all of American history is the core of discovery and Lewis and Clark. It's much like if today like it's the equivalent today of if you sent astronauts to another planet. That's and exactly they what sit I was about back. to
0: say. Yeah, it's just like that. It's like almost like Mars exploration.
1: Yeah. Probably more dangerous to be Lewis and Clark going to the Pacific Ocean than it is to be astronauts in twenty nineteen that NASA sends to Mars.
0: That's insane to think about but but probably true.
2: Yeah, I mean we've yeah. all played we've all played Oregon Trail. Everybody gets dispute. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> In the end, you're all going to get diarrhea and die.
2: Exactly. So it sounds like, I mean, it, Jefferson was a little bit of a, you know, he benefited a little bit from, from some good luck, obviously. But I guess I wonder, how, how does this actually play into his popularity? I mean, he was popular, I would assume, without acquiring Louisiana or the Louisiana Purchase uh d- does this even like register with with voters who would actually vote for him to to reelect him
1: this is the
2: biggest
1: thing probably that any president has done up until Jefferson and possibly the biggest thing that any president has done ever i mean in terms of if you cut out things like wars and winning wars and, This is probably the biggest move that a president ever makes. Once he locks this in, I mean, it captures the imaginations of everybody. There is no way after the Louisiana Purchase that Thomas Jefferson could lose an election. This was the big worry on everybody's mind is, oh, France has that Louisiana territory. What are we going to do? Oh, the French are going to are going to totally ruin our lives uh, by abusing their power over us. And boom, none of that can happen because Jefferson bought it.
0: So it really is kind of a the the biggest swing that any politician outside of a war, to your point, has accomplished. Is it really the first moment that on the world scene, other than places like Britain and France, <laughs> that America gets noticed as... While these people, they may be for real now.
1: That's a good question. You know, I think that there's a realization early on that we're somewhat for real. Any Anyway, in our region, not necessarily uh, on a world scale. I wouldn't say that this makes us seem more formidable to either... The French or the English. I think they both feel like they could kick us around pretty good if they want to. Later, we are going to uh, really start to expand regionally. And, you know, during Monroe's presidency, we're going to say, okay, everything in the Western Hemisphere, don't even come messing with it. America owns this hemisphere. And that's never stopped. So That's
2: your that's your guy again, right?
1: Yeah, that's well, actually, ironically Monroe did so much, but he didn't really, that's not really him. That's really John Quincy Adams who wrote the Monroe Doctrine.
2: So I get it. So Monroe does all this stuff for Jefferson and Adams and and Washington that that they get credit for, and then the actual doctrine that's named after him is from somebody else. Yep. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> well once you're the
1: top guy you can delegate you can delegate those things
2: uh i don't disagree with that (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about what happened to some of these players from the last election that that don't really survive to be a a name or a or a factor in this election where do some of these folks go
1: that's a great question. I want to start with James Calendar. Do you remember James Callender? James Callender uh, was writing all the really nasty stuff in the Aurora about John Adams throughout the election of 1800, just blasting him. James Calendar eventually got arrested, you know, because of the Sedition Act. You can't write nasty stuff about John Adams when he's president. So Calendar gets arrested. When Jefferson becomes president, Jefferson pardons him. And Callender gets out of jail, and he's, like, super entitled. He demands immediately his $200 fine back. He paid a $200 fine, and he wants his money back. Which is actually pretty fair, given that um, what happened to him was wildly unconstitutional. But Jefferson says, dude, I... I I just can't give you $200 out of my pocket. I mean, you can we can we can see what we can do, but I can't just give you $200 right now. And James Callender is just I mean, he goes off in a huff. He is pissed. He starts hitting up Jefferson's friends for his money. He starts he goes to Madison, he starts hitting up Madison. He <laughs> Madison won't give him any money. He starts demanding that uh, maybe he doesn't need the money if he's made the postmaster of Richmond. Once he does not get his position as postmaster of Richmond and he does not get his $200 back, he decides that he is going to eviscerate Thomas Jefferson. So he writes an article saying that Thomas Jefferson has had sexual relations with one of his slaves and fathered a child.
2: So so James Callender, who actually was helping Jefferson get elected the first time around by writing these articles about Adams, is the first person to come out with this article that that references Jefferson and probably Sally Hemings, I guess, right? I mean, is it does he mention her name? Yeah, he mentions her by name. Okay. Well that that's wild.
1: Let me read you a paragraph from the piece that he wrote. Oh, please. For um, I think it was called the Richmond Recorder was the paper where he wrote this. Okay. It is well known that the man whom it delighteth the people to honor keeps, and for many years past has kept, as his concubine, one of his own slaves. Her name is Sally. The name of her eldest son is Tom. His features are said to bear a striking... Although sable resemblance to those of the president himself.
0: Oh my
2: gosh! Wow, this may be this may be the biggest hit piece against a president ever. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. Forget forget the Clinton stories and the and the Trump. No, no, stories this is and,
0: like listen, like like Calendar was was drudge before drudge, you know, scooped the Monica Lewinsky story.
2: I mean, this is really amazing. It, it really, really—I mean, because everybody knows, if you are pay any attention, that these stories have existed for a long time. But to know how they came about and the fact that—you know, I'm sure Calendar knew about this before. This isn't new to him, or it's not a new idea to write about. Uh, so it's almost like if, if this happened—and I guess I'm going to ask that question next—do do we assume it's true? Because everything we hear now, it was true. Um, but if it was true— Surely Callender knew about it before he decided to write this piece. Uh, DNA tests
1: say that it's true. And this was widely believed at the time. Uh, if you lived in that area around Thomas Jefferson, the people who knew him wrote about this in their diaries. Like, oh, geez, yeah, that um that young man sure does look like Thomas Jefferson.
0: So what we really need here was we really needed Mari Povich to to jump on the scene and say, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson,
2: you are the father. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh so so what does this do? What does this do to the election? I mean obviously it doesn't really change much.
1: Yeah, well the um the Federalists the Federalist candidate and his vice president, they really try to use this, and they go around saying, oh my gosh, look at this scandal that James Callender wrote about. Look at this. Look what Thomas Jefferson has done. And people, you know, people don't think that it's okay, but they really like the Louisiana Purchase, so they have a choice. They're like, hey, do we like all this prosperity and all these policies that have done all these good things, or... Are we going to get all upset about this scandal and they choose
2: Bill Clinton all over again, Clinton, Trump? This is Clinton running for election and, you know, elected and then drudge coming up with the Monica Lewinsky scandal when 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 he's trying to run for reelection. You know, if if Clinton was not this likable person who had done good things for the country in most people's minds and also we had been in a time of pretty good prosperity. Well, that's the thing, Matt, is people, people
0: weren't looking for a reason not to vote for him. In Clinton's right. case, with, with in, in ninety, sorry 92, he jumps onto the scene. By the time 95 hits, the economy's roaring. No one wants to mess with the machine. They're not looking for a reason to hate him, you know?
2: And I, I think that same thing—I mean, Eddie knows better than us, but that same thing had to have been a play with Jefferson. I mean, we had a guy— Charles Pickney, I don't know much about him, but I don't know he, he doesn't seem like he was all that popular or and or charismatic. Maybe he's going to correct me, but even even so, Jefferson was was already in office. He had been there for a number of years, and he just doubled the size of the country, you know, and he preserved a huge way of of life for a lot of the people in Middle America at that. Time. I guess actually the West Coast of America at that time by by keeping control of the Mississippi River. So. People were willing to look aside and look away from certain things because of the stuff he had done in office. I think that was well put. Well, occasionally it happens. It's the beer talk. <laughs> You're brilliant, brilliant on beer. From the last episode, we hear a little bit about Pinckney. Tell me about this guy. Like, where I don't even know where he's from. I should, but but like, what kind of person is he? What kind of figure is he?
1: Pinckney is from South Carolina. Okay. And, you know, he's from an important family, which is really important if you're a Federalist, because the Federalists don't believe very much at all in social mobility. They believe that you're born into a class and you stay there. The Democratic Republicans don't believe that. The Democratic Republicans believe in social mobility. So you don't have to be from a good family or you don't have to be born high class, uh, you can become anything that you want. That's what the Democratic-Republicans believe. And Pinckney is from a good family, but the reason that he's famous is the XYZ affair. Because he's the one who said to uh, France, we will not pay you a bribe just in order to negotiate. And everybody was super impressed with that. So everybody in the country loved him. He was a he was a hero because of what he did in the X Y Z affair. And he just rode that out for many years. I mean, actually, like you'll
2: see, he was famous. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but he was famous enough for Hamilton to get on board and say, "Hey, this guy might actually have a chance of unseating Adams and getting rid of a problem of mine, a thorn in my side forever." At that point in time. When Jefferson first got elected because he beat Adams, Pickney was probably at the top of his game, I would think, as far as popularity.
1: Yeah, he was. That was right around the time of the XYZ affair. All of his major popularity rests on that. He was a high Federalist, which is why Alexander Hamilton loves him so much. Alexander Hamilton, super partisan. He plays a big role in the election of 1804, and so does... Aaron Burr, so that's another couple names from the election
2: of 1800 who are going to play big. But just from the little bit of research that I've tried to do, and I try not to do a lot because you're the expert, but so, so Burr is not even on the ticket though, right?
1: Right. Burr decides that he is going to run for the governorship of New York. Okay. Because at the time, Jefferson hates Burr. He he just shuts him out. He, he wants nothing to do with Aaron Burr, especially after Aaron Burr didn't settle the problem in the House of Representatives and just say, look, everybody, I'm the vice presidential candidate. Pick Thomas Jefferson to be president. That's what was supposed to happen. He didn't do that. He should have, but he didn't.
2: And so... How does it come about that he's not even going to be considered? Does he take his name out of the hat for, for vice president next time around? Or do they say to him, no thanks, we're not interested in you being on the ticket this time?
1: He takes his name out to run for... Uh, New York governor but because he can see the writing on the wall he he gets slammed in that uh, New York governor's race Alexander Hamilton does everything he can to stop Burr from winning that race during 1804 during the election of 1804 as it's going on that's when in the summer of 1804 Burr ends up killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel
2: this is based on the duel. Is based on I'm assuming like issues they had over the election and the and the run for governor.
1: Oh yeah, they had issues from the beginning. You know, Burr early on won a uh, or he stopped Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law from getting elected to some state senate seat in New York or something. Uh, so. They were enemies as far back as that. That's, like, where they first became enemies. And then, let's see, then during the election of 1800, Hamilton wrote that long screed about John Adams having no character. And it was just intended to circulate to high Federalists, but then Burr got his hands on it, and he had it published. Then... When the House was picking between Burr and Jefferson, Hamilton told them to pick Jefferson because he was the lesser of two evils. And now Hamilton sinks Burr in this New York governor's race. And so they've just had fights going on all of their lives. In 1804, it comes to a head. They have a duel. Burr uh, shoots Hamilton and Weehawk in New Jersey. Everybody from our generation first learned about this, of course, from a milk commercial.
0: Yeah. <laughs> at, at the time, was was the New York gubernatorial race or the, 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 the governor of New York, was that kind of the proving grounds or the on-deck circle for um, becoming a presidential candidate? Is that the reason he wanted to fall back on that?
1: Well, I mean, you could do that, but he's already vice president, which— Uh, Already, there's only been three presidents, and one of them ascended from the vice presidency. So, uh, at the time, because the federal government is so new, and people don't feel like Americans yet, they still feel like Virginians or New Yorkers or whatever, uh, it's still a much bigger deal to be the Governor of New York, that's like being the President of New York, basically back then, yeah,
2: um Y'all must be into the beer a little bit but but the of the first three presidents two were Vice Presidents, not one
1: yeah, you're right, you're right, um <laughs> John Adams was Vice President to George Washington and and Jefferson was Vice President to. Adam.
2: Yeah, and best friends.
1: So I was thinking about Jefferson being Secretary of State, but yeah, he was vice president.
2: It was at, at that point you just assumed the vice president was gonna be next in line. Yeah, so you know, Burr
1: knew that he wasn't because Jefferson hated him so much. He really made a mistake by trying to allow himself to be chosen by the House of Representatives in eighteen hundred. Everything may have gone differently for him otherwise.
2: So, when does, and not to skip around on your notes, but when does Burr get charged with treason or or when is there a push to charge him with treason?
1: Oh, that's a good story. Um, So, Burr gets indicted for murder. He's uh, wanted for murder in the state of New Jersey because he shot Alexander Hamilton and killed. So, uh, he leaves the state. He uh, ends up not becoming vice president again. He goes out west. Out West, he comes up with the idea that he is going to raise up an army and take some of the western territory, uh mainly some areas in Texas, and he is going to make himself king of that and uh you can't do that yeah. <laughs> uh, no <laughs> Jefferson actually handles the prosecution himself. Jefferson wants him to go down for treason, okay? Jefferson hated him anyway, but because of what he did, Jefferson wants him to go down for treason. And at the trial, Chief Justice Marshall issued a subpoena to Jefferson to make him deliver documents that Burr had requested as part of his defense, and Jefferson did not honor the subpoena, and he only supplied little parts Of the stuff that Burr wanted. And so Jefferson is just dead set on making him fry for this. But in the end Marshall says. uh, Because the constitutional requirement for treason is so narrow. It says that there have to be two witnesses of an overt act of treason. Marshall says there are not two witnesses of an overt act of treason. So um, Burr gets off on the treason charge. And Jefferson, because of that decision, tries to get Marshall impeached.
2: Oh, this is this is really sounding like today.
1: Yeah, it's nuts, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's such a soap opera. It's crazy. Yeah. The things these people have going on, especially Aaron Burr. Can you imagine deciding that you're going to raise an army and take over territories and declare yourself the king of those territories? I mean, that's like, that's like Macbeth-level ambition. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So what do we need to know before we get to the election now?
1: All right. Well, we talked about the Louisiana Purchase. That's super important. Yep. Talked about James' calendar. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned the fact that the national debt, because the wars are over, trade goes up, the national debt goes down, Wow. and uh, taxes go down as well.
2: He had everything working for him. I mean, there's yes. there's no way anybody's going to beat this guy.
1: Right, there's just there was just no chance. One of the things one of the things that they launch against him is that the federalists and the Federalist candidates say, "Oh, well, the Louisiana Purchase was unconstitutional." Which is funny because really Thomas Jefferson believed that the Louisiana Purchase was unconstitutional. But he also believed that it was too good to pass up.
2: Well, there you go. Sometimes it's worth stepping on the Constitution if something's too good to pass up.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's what I've heard. (laughs) I don't don't know how true that is. (laughs) Jefferson says the uh, constitutional power that allows you to govern territories implies that you can acquire territories. And so it's constitutional because of that, according to Jefferson, who doesn't really believe that.
2: Right. I mean, buy the land first and then figure out the argument second. That's the way things work. Yeah.
1: I, for one, am glad that Jefferson went ahead and made the purchase. But he probably could have had the Constitution amended uh, if he needed to. Could have gone through with the other constitutional amendment that was ratified in 1804, which is finally... The 12th Amendment, which says we're going to vote separately for president and vice president.
2: But do we do that in the 1804 election? I'm assuming not, right? Yes. Oh, we do? Okay.
1: I believe the vice presidential candidates are uh, Rufus King on the federal side and uh, Clinton on the Democratic-Republican side. George Clinton, I believe, is the vice presidential candidate
2: the the first Clinton from New York to be important in politics.
1: Yes. Not related to William Jefferson Clinton.
2: So I guess the eight hundred pound grill in the
0: room is is how many people did this Clinton have killed? <laughs> 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 Burr, eh. <laughs> hey. You know,
2: if
1: I really get the buzzer it will become a contest to make the buzzer go off. That's
2: right, yeah. Whoever has the most buzzers actually wins, I think.
1: <laughs> uh, something I wanted to mention about this election. Ohio votes for the first time, and they do vote for the winner. So it's already a bellwether state, apparently.
2: What else you got?
1: I meant to mention that in the election of 1800, that was when the states of Tennessee and Kentucky voted for the first time.
2: And we voted for Jefferson?
1: They voted for Jefferson. Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, most of Maryland, and New Jersey all voted for Thomas Jefferson. In
2: 1804 or
1: 1800? In 1804. Two Maryland electors voted for Pinckney, uh, and Delaware and Connecticut voted for Pinckney.
2: Wow. I bet they are really proud of that vote today.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't you be?
2: So, it, Pinckney was the last Federalist ever nominated for presidential election.
1: No, 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 no. Okay, um, but but no no Federalist will will ever be president again. Okay, but they'll continue to run until I think Monroe is the last Democratic Republican president to run against a Federalist.
2: Yeah, it, it sounds like this election. Once Jefferson took the reins of the Democratic Republican Party, though he really played up this whole populist movement. He was I guess the first populist politician because essentially he said, "Hey, these folks are all aristocracy, and they don 't care about including you in their group. It was a lot like the whole outsider argument today, you know, outside the beltway and the and the movement that Trump had behind him not too dissimilar, not that they're similar people, but the actual way they they went after votes and people to vote for them seems a little bit alike
1: 100 percent. that's always uh th- that's always a polarizing issue you always have the elites versus the working class that's throughout history and the federalists were the elites and the democratic republicans well they were elites too but they were the elites that liked you the normal
2: guy you know, now there's a little bit of brand confusion, I think, because I think both sides would say that they're for the normal guy, and, and the, the their opponents would say, yeah, right, we're for the normal guy. And I think there's lots of normal guys and gals out there who think that one side or the other is for them. There's not a clear line that says, okay, this is the aristocracy, and this is the common folk. Um, I think there's a little bit of both in both parties now.
1: No, I agree with that. I I thought that Scott was going to jump in there, so I was...
0: I am not asleep.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That beer got to him.
1: Yeah, how many did you have?
0: This is a rather uh, high-volume beer.
1: Uh... (laughs) Ah.
2: I tell you, I think this is the second beer I finished during one of our episodes. You Uh, actually finished that beer? Yeah. Wow. The first was a cider, and that didn't count. So I've actually finished this Napoleon Complex, and now I feel like, honestly, I could take over the world, is is all I got to (laughs) say.
1: Then it is aptly named.
2: <laughs> what else do we need to know as we start to close this thing out?
1: Uh, it was going to be such. It was going to be such a total uh, one-sided election. The Democratic Republican Caucus in Congress chose Thomas Jefferson to be their candidate. The Federalist Caucus did not even formally bother choosing a candidate. They didn't even care. They were like, they informally, one guy says to another, oh, who do we have last time? That Pinkney guy from the XYZ thing? All right, let's make it him again. And that's why Thomas Jefferson won 162 electoral votes to 14.
2: A definite landslide. So, as always, let's talk about a little primer, a little teaser for the next election coming up.
1: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, next election. Oh man. I really blew it on this one because I didn't I didn't talk about the midnight appointments. When Adams left office he left office peacefully and that's like the big thing that John Adams' presidency is remembered for. Oh, he left office peacefully, which is great. But also when he was a lame duck between the times that he was defeated in the election and when he left office the Federalist Congress passed a new law called the Judiciary Act of eighteen o one, and he just started. They created all these new courts so that Adams could appoint a hundred Federalist judges
2: to all these new courts. You did talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I
1: did talk about that. Awesome. Okay, all right, send it out. Send us out.
2: All right, uh, Scott, why don't you do the honors? am I on
0: on?
1: (laughs) you sound like you're calling into a local radio show to yell at the host
0: can you hear me can you hear me out there (laughs) I swear I've only had one beer Eddie (laughs) Matt thanks for joining us this has been a good episode next time it's the election of 1808
2: who we got this time?
1: James Madison, father of the Constitution versus who can guess?
2: Um, I'm going to say Charles Pinkney. <laughs> Man. So they dust they off just Pinckney roll this again. dude out to take a big L. Yeah. <laughs> His middle initial has to be L, I'm thinking. <laughs> So anyway, I want to handle the rest of this. Y'all come back for this next election, 1808, coming out next. You can find it on iTunes or any other podcast app you listen to. Thanks for listening, as always. Come back next time. Well, that's what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit,
0: that's great. <laughs>